Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 25 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. And actually, when I went to the Mandolin Cafe this morning, as I do every morning when I wake up, I noticed that Marla Fibish, and I think I'm saying that incorrectly, uh, and I apologize if I am, but she has a brand new album out. And so I reached out to Dan at Peghead Nation, where she is an instructor, and he connected us uh, via email as well. And she's going to be on the podcast, so I'll be able to ask her the pronunciation of her last name in person. And she sent me a copy of the new album, and I cannot wait to listen to it. So that's what I'll probably do as soon as I upload this podcast. And this podcast is with one heck of a nice guy, CJ Lewandowski. It was a... It was a great conversation he was getting ready to go on a cruise we talked late on a sunday evening and what a year him and the poe ramblin boys have had and just genuine the grammy story that he tells at the beginning is is really really heartfelt so uh, be sure to check out all cj's stuff i'll have links to him and at the poe ramblin boys links at mandolinsbeer.com i'll also have links he talks about a bobby osborne album uh bobby and his mandolin which isn't available any longer, but it's available on YouTube, so I'll have a link to that. And I'll also have a link to Don Brown and the Ozark Mountain Trio, which is no longer available either. But there's some great stuff on YouTube. So I'll have links to that at mandolinsofbeer.com. You can also get, I got trucker hats are back in stock as our winter beanies. Uh, so grab those while I still have them. Those winter beanies went quick, and I have limited quantities right now. So you can go there. Uh, I also have gotten more stickers in and t-shirts and i still have some koozies left as well of course you can always support this podcast for free by just going to itunes or wherever you're listening to this and leaving a rating in a quick review it only takes a few moments and it means a whole bunch to me and it's free i also have a patreon page up and i've been updating it as well now finally i've had some time in the new year to do that and um, there's two two different tiers one's a small donation if you want to donate monthly to the podcast you can do that there and then there's a little bit of a higher one it's eight dollars a month where each week I post a 10-minute-a-day video example, so something you can work on that week. Last week, I kind of gave an example of Casey Campbell's, um, Casey Campbell's, not Campbell's, um, his example of how he plays double stops and how fiddle players play double stops and how he strengthens his pinky. This week, I think I'm actually going to transcribe out Bobby Osborne's 7th of December and play that as well. Um, since I couldn't find any tabs for that online. And CJ talks about that tune, and that's one that he likes to warm up with on this. Oh, and also, speaking of things, uh, CJ was talking about a song that Mike Compton uh, mentioned to him at Lorefest, and Mike has literally texted me while I'm recording this intro because I forgot to text him the night that CJ and I were talking. And the name of the song that CJ references near the end of this podcast is the Monroe Brothers version of... On the banks of the Ohio. So there you go, everybody. Enjoy the podcast with CJ Lewandowski next week, Doyle Lawson. The week after that, Andrew Marlin, Mandolin Orange. Cheers, y'all. All right, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast CJ Lewandowski. CJ, how are you, man? I'm good, man. What's up? Not much, dude. You are a busy guy. You got a lot, you got a lot going on here. I stay pretty busy. Yeah, things have been uh, things have been snowballing, I guess you could say, and we've been keeping the roads hot and keeping the uh, keeping the sky full of bluegrass as well, flying from one place to another. So nice. It's been a good uh, it's been a good run here so far, and hopefully uh, 2020 is is just as good. 
Yeah, man. Well, I, I'm sure it will be. You, uh, the album's phenomenal. Congratulations! You're nominated for a Grammy, so we should we should talk. Let's start off with that here. How do you how do you find out that you got the nod for the Grammy nomination? <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny because I was just I was in bed, so <laughs> it's a it's not too fantastic of a story, I guess. But it, it I had uh, completely forgot about any. Well, for one thing, we never even thought that there would be any conversation of a grammy so it was a a side note you know we just wanted to put out a good album on rounder records and, and uh, i feel like we've done pretty well on it representing what the Paul rambo boys like to do but i was uh, actually in bed asleep and my phone buzzed and it woke <laughs> me up and I, I rolled over and grabbed my phone and ashley moyer from rounder records she she just said congratulations and I was like, congratulations on what? <laughs> what are we talking about here? And so she, she just sent me the link uh, to the Grammy nomination. I guess it was the press release. And, and I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was awake at that time. And, and I sent a group message immediately to, we all have a group text between all of us in the band and sent it out. And, uh, Actually, Josh, a guitar player, he was in the basement of my house. Uh, he's got a, he's got a room down here and I, down there, and I could hear him just a scuffling all over the place. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hear him calling his dad and Dad, we were nominated for a Grammy, just yelling and and it it was uh, it was neat, man. I as far as my musical career would ever go, I I this this Grammy nomination was never in the picture it's it's unbelievable and i just i don't know i feel really cool about really good about it and it's just i can't even put it into words because i never thought that this would even be attainable so yeah it's 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 crazy it's crazy and it's for me being a traditionalist and and things like that just kind of holding true to my roots and and putting songs on there that I've listened to my whole life. Uh, also with new songs as well. It's kind of cool that we've incorporated the Paul Rambo boys, like brand new songs that have never been recorded. And then also some of these older songs that we've listened to. And then some of the songs that people that I grew up around wrote. Uh, to, it's it's a cool mix. And first thing I did, the first person I called was a guy that taught me how to play mandolin. Actually, Jim Orchard. He lives over there in those arcs and called him. And I said, well, so we're nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> and, he, and he said, you are. I said, no. I said, we are. I said, you're a songwriter on that album. He wrote one of the songs on there. Oh, wow. That's said, great, man. Yeah. I said, you're a song. And he's, you know, he's 84 years old now. Oh, wow. And he was, he was completely speechless. And so for me to be able to make that phone call to one of my, you know, one of the guys who invested so much time into me and, and, you know, gave me a chance when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, mm -hmm. that, that meant more to me than the call from Ash or the text message from Ashley that, that we were nominated just to be able to tell him that, that something that he had written, it was, uh, got a Grammy nod, you know, that's that's a me not great me story. not being able yeah me not being able to fathom the idea uh he was he was even worse than that you know <laughs> <laughs> he, he never thought about it so yeah, it's gosh. it's cool to uh 
it's cool to honor them guys a little bit, but also make your own path. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's great that you're sticking to your guns and doing what you love, and now being re- you're you're reaping the rewards of following your heart, and you know, doing what you want to do because that's what you want to do. So con- congratulations, yeah. that story, man. That well, story thank is you, great dude. Uh, thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Jim Jim is an important guy to me, and he came into my life at a right when my actually right when my grandfather passed away uh he came he came in not too long after that so he's he's kind of my uh, you know the grandfather figure in my life so it was cool to oh. to be able to smile and celebrate with him absolutely are you guys um are you as the band going to go to the ceremony yeah we're going out there that's Heck uh, yeah, buddy. january january 26th oh, yeah, we're going great, out great man I'm actually down in Florida right now. We're going to go do a cruise, uh, a bluegrass cruise. And then uh, we've got to come back here, play in Florida the day that we get back from the cruise. And then come home. We play at Old Smoky Moonshine there in, in Gatlinburg, uh, Tennessee, every once in a while. So we got two shifts there. Get on a plane, go to uh, Alberta, Canada. We play up there two days and then do a red eye down to L.A., play Saturday in L.A. for IBMA and Folk Alliance and all that. And then Sunday's the awards. So January is never a busy month for bluegrass music, but it is for us this month. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, dude. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to talk I want to talk a little bit about that old Smokey, too. Um, yeah. That's a pretty cool story. We'll uh, We'll get to that in a minute. Um, the other thing that's kind of new for you guys is you've you've added a, a new member. Yeah, we have. Uh, just um, well, some people could say that she's a new member, but uh, also she's been traveling with us a lot. She also recorded on uh, Cool Tears and Trouble with us, and then our gospel project that we put out, uh, God's Love is So Divine. Miss Laura Orshaw. So, yes, and I'm I'm gonna nip it in the bud right now. Of, well, are you gonna change the name? <laughs> no, no, we're not. <laughs> it's right. uh, you know, I, I always I kind of I kind of say we're following the footsteps of of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys with Bessie Lee, Maud Lynn, and then exactly Jimmy Barton and the Sunny Mountain Boys and Gloria Bell. So she's a she's an official Paul Ramblin' boy now. Perfect. And, uh, man, she. Laura adds so much, you know, well, we're talking about mandolins and stuff, but Bill Monroe based his, his music around the fiddle. Exactly. He, yeah. he based his music around uncle Penn's fiddle playing. And that's, that's what he always carried with him. And, um, you know, we started off as a four piece because that's, that's just how it was. And that's what we could afford. And, uh, so when we decided to bring someone else into the picture, uh, when we started talking about it, the band was together five years and it's been the four of us jasper lorenson jeremy brown josh wrinkle and myself and it's been the four of us the whole time we're the we're the guys that have have stuck through thick and thin and and uh you know i think we've worked hard to get what we what we we have so when we wanted to bring someone else in the picture it was kind of hard to to figure that out and we wanted to make sure that it was going to fit you know, traveling down the road in the bus, uh, you know, we're, 
you play a 90 minute set or 45 minute sets every once in a while, but there's a lot of time in between there that you guys are together. Right. So, um, Laura's great. Uh, there's, I, there's, there's no complaints at all. She's, she's amazing musician. Uh, she's an amazing singer as well. And uh, so she brings a lot to uh, her entertainment value is incredible. So bringing her into the picture took us a while, man. There was, there was probably two years that we kind of dabbled in fiddle players. We'd take one out and this, that, and the other, trying to test the water a little bit. Sure. And we always just kept coming back around to Laura. And then eventually uh, we had to, she, she, we tease her cause she, she's got a lot of stuff on her plate and she wanted to figure out what was right for her. Lives up in Boston where the rest of us live in Tennessee. And right. just, there was a lot of new things that we'd have to balance. And we always made fun of her though. Cause she would never, she would never give us a, a straight answer on anything. <laughs> and so, so we finally, we debut on the Opry, uh, on the Grand Ole Opry on October 1st and like uh, October 4th, she calls me and she said, so, uh, I, uh, I just need to know what do I need to do to, you know, to make this official now? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I said, Oh, it was, it was the Opry. Okay. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. What was it like yeah. to play the Opry for the first time? Dude, <laughs> you know, we, we sit here and think about like our goals in life and stuff like that. And, and one of the things for me was I wanted to play the Grand Ole Opry. Did I think it would ever happen? Shoot. No, I never thought it would happen, but we, you know, we, that's the ultimate deal, um, for me. And I think it was for all the guys too. We, Oh man, we got a call, you know, like a week before, uh, it was actually IBMA. We were in Raleigh and I got a phone call from our manager and he said, he said, well, what are you doing next Tuesday? And I said, well, I said, I'll, we've got it on the calendar that we've got to play down at Old Smokey. He said, well, you're going to have to clear your calendar. I said, oh, I said, oh a, a, a date come through. And I said, man, I, I'd rather not cancel Old Smokey that quick like that. I'm, you know, we need to talk about this a little bit more. People can't be calling us just a week in advance and expecting us to drop everything. And he said, well, would you do that for the Grand Ole Opry? And I just went, I, I said a select few words in the lobby <laughs> of the, of the, uh, of the hotel there at IBMA and I screamed it and a bunch of people turned around and I, I said, are you blankety blanking me? <laughs> and, and, and everyone down, down there in the lobby just turned around like, what in the world is wrong with CJ? And I, that's, it was, <laughs> it was cool the the news. So we got to, you know, I, again, I called everyone, called Jim again and told him about that. And, um, it was incredible. Really, I got to, me and Jeremy stood in the circle while we played. We got to play three songs off the, all songs were off that Toil, Tears, and Trouble album. And I kind of, I kind of blocked it out, to be honest, because it was such a big deal for me. Right. You know, I knew that I was going to get, like, I was probably going to have a little bit of a breakdown. So, I blocked it out a little bit and I think I, I got all my emotional stuff out of the way while we were doing a sound check, but you know, to look, you're looking at a 4,000 seat event and it was amazing how many people you could actually see, oh, you know, no within the crowd. Yeah. yeah. And man, everywhere I looked, there was somebody, there was somebody I knew 
and oh, that wow that's that's when it hit me pretty hard like this this not only meant a lot to us uh, as a band but it meant a lot to other people that had that had been following us since the beginning or had become really good friends of ours you know my grandma she's uh she'll be 89 in march she was there so oh cool to see, man you know to see my grandma out there she's the only one grandparent i've got left so it was it was emotional it was extremely emotional and we hope you know we're going to come back we've talked to the opry folks again but that debut man was just it was unbelievable we're still kind of riding high off that yeah i bet gosh that's amazing <laughs> man when yeah, when do the strong. when's that grammy announcement is that when did they make that's, that announcement like the um not the uh, event but when did you find oh, out the announcement yeah, yeah that was yeah. just a few weeks later yeah, and what uh, a month <laughs> after after the opry yeah and so we get we get off the opry and we we go and have us a little get together party afterwards and everything and and i said guys i said what do we do now like where do we go from here we <laughs> right. we signed with rounder records which we never thought would happen uh we're on the same management company as as some of our biggest influences and heroes and peers uh and then all of a sudden we get an opera call um what's next you know where do we go from here we could and a bunch of us are like well oh yeah we can we we could hang it up right now and we'd be completely <laughs> satisfied and then three weeks later this grammy thing comes in it's like where does this stop <laughs> like, yeah I, I need a break from all this excitement i don't want a break but dang <laughs> wow it's, man it's piling up kind of quick that's so, so great well i mean again what makes it great is you guys are doing what you want to do it's not yeah man it's not pretend you know what i mean there's mm -hmm. so much of that out there so much contrived music in all genres and and to see somebody who is you know having the success doing what they love to do there's nothing better in my opinion so congrats well, thank you. That's Absolutely. well. We don't. The thing is, is we don't know how to do anything else. We don't know. It's not as, as far as as far as musically. Sure. Like sure. that's that's what we were raised on. All of us. You know, we were we were all raised on traditional uh, the tr the traditional festival circuits and by people that played that kind of music. You know, some of my best friends growing up in high school, they were fifty years older than me. So if I didn't. There was a time, man, when I wasn't allowed to take a break on the mandolin until I could do the chop the way that those old timers wanted me to do it. Wow, <laughs> so, no way. That's great. Man, we learned the hard way, but there's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, you know, my the the way I was raised, uh I wouldn't trade it for anything because we wouldn't I don't think we would hold true or or have we wouldn't be as connected to our music or as close to our music if we weren't raised the way that we were. And, uh, you know, I, I can probably speak for all the guys when I say that, but specifically me. Mm -hmm. So how did you, so how did you start playing? What, what got you into the mandolin of, of all the instruments? Um, well, uh, I'm from Missouri. I'm from the, uh, County under St. Louis County. Oh, okay. Um, so Jefferson County, Missouri, and I, I say I'm from Jefferson County because when I was a kid, we kind of hopped around from a town to town there. But it it was all based around Jefferson County, and my dad still lives there and everything. But um, I decided, well, a buddy of mine who had, he was an only child and I'm an only child. His mom and my mom were best friends. Well, um, 
one day he found a banjo underneath his grandpa's bed, pulled it out, started, you know, beating on it. And his <laughs> his grandpa come in there. He said, that's not a toy. He said, you either learn to play it or you put that thing back under the bed. And uh, he got a little ticked off. So he decided that he was going to try and learn something on it. So, and he did. He, he's, he's a very, he's a very good banjo player. And uh, so when he got started uh, playing, I figured, well, I need to figure out something too. And I've, I've sang my whole life. And, uh, so I, I was a singer, of course, but I was still at that time, I was trying to figure out what to play. I wanted to play something. Uh-huh. So picked up the fiddle. I played it or tried to play it for about three months. And the bow is a terrible, terrible thing. Oh my gosh. Dude. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah, I can't. That thing is uncontrollable. With me, so. <laughs> Anyhow, the, the woman that was teaching him lessons, uh, Miss Connie Layton in, in Dittmer, Missouri, she uh, she was teaching Steve these banjo lessons and teaching me fiddle lessons. And one day she had this little uh, trailer house that she would teach in. And I walked by one of the little lesson rooms and I looked in there. And of course, I knew who Bill Monroe was, but I looked over and he, she had this picture of Bill Monroe holding that that july 9 23 madeline you know all beat up and everything he's just sitting there holding it and there was i don't know what it was i don't know there was some kind of power that i felt from that like i seen power in that picture and i was like i want that kind of power and i think i related it to the madeline so I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to have a pick in my pocket, not a bow. I want to, <laughs> you know, so that picture, which I actually have that picture oh, uh, cool. at the house, that picture was what changed it for me, like the power. And looking back on it now, it was mostly the man, I would say. Sure. sure. Uh, but but the, the man and the mandolin together, like that that combination, that companionship, I think I think I seen that in that picture. And so. I started learning uh, mandolin. It's easy to transpose over from the fiddle. Mm-hmm. So took lessons from her for three months. She said, just go on out. And the best thing you can do is go out and start uh, learning from other people at the festivals. And so there was no, there's no formal education. Uh, and most people, people can probably hear that by playing, but uh, I don't know about no, that. Man. <laughs> there's no formal uh, I, I, I can't read music and a tab is even kind of hard for me. So I, I was learning by ear, um, the whole time when I was growing up and this would have been about the time I was 13, I guess. And I'm 32 now. So I've been playing a while and I set it down for a, for quite a time. I played, I had my own band in 2008, 2010 which I play guitar in and I, I completely set the mandolin down. I put it down would not touch it, sold my mandolin. Whoa, no I was over it, you know? And then in 2010, Shiflet, Carl Shiflet called me and asked me if I could meet him at Bean Blossom and play mandolin. And I'd never even met him. And, uh, I said, I don't own a mandolin and I, you know, I, I could try maybe. And uh, a buddy of mine was playing banjo for him and suggested me. So I went up there and the first, time i picked up a mandolin in two years i was on the bean blossom stage for the first time which scared the living daylights out of me <laughs> right. and but it it i think i think i needed the break uh 
because I felt like I came back and and I I was more open minded, and I think I had soaked up more mandolin stuff just by watching people because I always loved it. Sure, but I think taking that break really helped me, and then from then on, I just kind of dived in. But I learned from you know my influences started Jim Orchard that we talked about earlier. He's the mm-hmm. he's kind of the guy that that really really took me under his wing, and I I played. Uh, uh, played in his band, the Ozark Bluegrass Boys, and then uh, I had some really good influences around the house. Uh, Frank Ray, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Frank Ray of Cedar Hill. Yeah, he was he was thirty miles from me, and uh, then Don Brown, man, Don Brown. If you can listen to Don Brown and the Ozark Mountain Trio, that's some that's some good stuff right there. So yeah, Don Brown was man. Don Brown always wanted to. Uh, he died before I started playing, but I I heard one of his albums, uh, and I just I fell in love with this mandolin playing. He his I seen his uh, talked to his widow not too long after he had passed away, and the one thing that's always stuck with me what she said was uh, he wanted to play like Bill Monroe and sing like Jimmy Martin. Oh man, and you can. <laughs> you can hear that. You can hear that in that old Ozark Mountain Trio stuff. And uh, I've actually done a few tribute shows of him. And I want to eventually I'd like to do I've done a, a, a mandolin project called Ozark Mandolin. And that album is I think it's six track. It's six tracks of mine. And I think it's seven of Jim Orchard's. And it kind of showcases his old it showcases his old mandolin. And then uh, kind of his influence upon me. And so I wrote some song, or some tunes. I played them on my mandolin. And then his songs I played uh, on his mandolin. Just kind of a kind of a tribute to him and a tribute to all those people investing time in me from from that area of the country. And then I would like to do another one sometime soon, uh, like kind of like an Ozark Madeline two that uh features Don Brown stuff. Cool. So yeah, Don well, probably Don Brown and Frank Ray stuff. So and then play Don's old Madeline stuff. So there I don't know. I just I have a connection to all that stuff over there and and I think uh, one of the biggest things that I really discovered in the past three or four years was there's a there's a music style or a mandolin style, I should say, relative to 
that area of the country. And I think it's, uh, this is where regional music comes into play. You know, mm-hmm. regional music is being slightly overlooked sometimes because we've got YouTube and we've got all this, you know, all, you've got everyone at the touch of a, you know, a touch of a keyboard, the touch of the screen of your phone. Right. And I think a lot of younger folks are missing out on who's right down the road or who's at the jam session. Cause that's what, you know, I played at a dang Hardee's jam session. A Hardee's, like a restaurant. <laughs> like the restaurant, a Hardee's yeah. restaurant. It's my first we job. A, <laughs> yeah, we had a jam session there for four years at the Hardee's every Monday night. And I got to play with all them guys from around home. And I learned a lot. And when you learn from the regional aspect of where you're from or maybe, you know, where you moved or whatever. But if you suck up some of that regional stuff, you become unique. and uniqueness is extremely important looking back on you know the the originators of this stuff they all fell under the category of bluegrass music because they all kind of learned from bill monroe they they all heard monroe on the opry and wanted to be like him whatnot but when a jimmy martin song kicks off on the radio you know it's jimmy martin by like the third you know the third little lick (laughs) right and And same with Ralph and and Stanley Brothers and Osborne Brothers and Jim and Jesse and all all that. They were they were their own. They were all under this category, but they they were their all own sound. They were all unique. And so, I think that's what we tried to concentrate on. When that's one thing that I concentrated on, especially with my mandolin playing. I I just I wanted to be I wanted to be different, and uh, I think I wanted to be different, but also like pay homage to people and it works because I just those guys that taught me so much, I carry them with me all over the, wherever I go, you know? Right. And, um, so my point of all that rambling is pay attention to the people that are around you because there could be somebody that affects your entire playing career and you might not know it. And I didn't realize that until about three or four years ago. So regional aspects, man, that's a, that's a big deal to me. People overlooking some of the local heroes and stuff. So right, right. I was lucky. I was very, very, very lucky to to grow up around uh, people that had had been part of the scene in the like the fifties and the sixties and the seventies around the St. Louis area. And back to my point of uh, the mandolin style, I I think there's a, a certain mandolin style that belongs to like the Missouri area and that's why i called that project ozark mandolin because we've we had such good mandolin players over there and they weren't you know they weren't mainstream people uh dean webb of course was right right but uh you've got dean webb you've got don brown you got jim orchard you got frank ray oh man there's there's several of them those are the top four as far as as far as the people that i learned from but they all came from a certain little area down there in the Ozarks, right around. It's in the Ozark National Scenic Riverways now, uh, Eminence area, Shannon County, Missouri. And they all had one thing in common. They they listened to Bill Monroe on the Opry. And that was the only thing. They only they couldn't afford records down there. So what did they do? They tuned in to WSM if they could get it that night. And they might have heard Bill play John Henry. 
one night and then on the second portion he might have played working on a building or what would you give in exchange for, or something you know anything like that right but that they only heard it one time so they had they they digested it the way they did they couldn't go back and reference they heard it one time and so they took it and remembered what they could and they played it in and, and probably they they thought they were playing it just like they heard bill do it right right <laughs> but but in reality they didn't it was how their mind had captured it so um i think uh, i think there's a there's a style of mandolin playing over there that's that's monroe flavored and uh i feel like maybe i, I i'm one of the people that might be carrying that on a little bit that yeah, ozark awesome. mandolin style yeah, so man what are uh, what are a couple of the like tips and techniques that maybe um stuck with you the most um that some of these guys showed you the right hand technique was was pretty pretty intense uh they wanted me to get that down all of them all of them wanted me to get the right hand thing going sure as quickly as i could so i, I feel like i concentrated a, maybe in excess <laughs> with the right hand uh -huh. and didn't didn't concentrate as much as i need to on the left so I feel like my right hand stronger than my left and uh, I, I work on my left every day that I can, but um, yeah, the right hand technique is, is what I, is what I feel like I gathered from all those guys. Mostly. Cool. That's great, man. Yeah. Right hand. I think that right hand is so underrated. Although when you talk now on this podcast, you know, all these great players, they, you know, like yourself talk mm -hmm. about the right hand. I think that's what really makes a difference is the, uh, the ability to work on that sort of stuff and focus. Yeah. On it. David Benedict and I was doing a uh, was doing a workshop uh, in Colorado, and for one, I thought that was really cool because David comes from a completely different uh, teaching uh, aspect that I learned from, you know, sitting across the table, and he did as well. But he he comes from more of an educational background as far as his learning and stuff, and and it was cool to compare the two hand in hand, but. Uh, we come up with something that day. Uh, I said, your schooling's in your left hand, but your right hand is, is how you talk. Yeah, that's <laughs> great, dude. <laughs> that's awesome. Got to, you got to get that put on a shirt, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how do you, uh, how do you meet up with the Poe Ramblin' boys? I, I, I know there's a, a little bit is the old smoky distillery kind of plays into that a little bit. Does it? Yeah, we had, well, all of us have been friends. Um, I moved to Tennessee to Gatlinburg because I had an opportunity to play music for the city of Gatlinburg. Oh, cool. and, uh, so I moved down there and it was a temporary job. So, uh, that ended and, uh, I had some opportunities to do some fill in work over it at old Smokey. They ended up opening up a new location, uh, in Pigeon Forge and therefore it branched out to where they wanted more music. There's music there seven days a week at, at old smoky especially in gatlinburg and uh at that time you could play 10 hours a day if you wanted to there there's uh five hour shifts two five hour shifts a day and uh, sometimes you'd be pulling doubles wow. and uh holy cow yeah there's a lot of there's, <laughs> there's a lot of music there yeah so wow. they opened up that new location and they needed another band to kind of spread the spread around the time and um uh, uh, the entertainment director there, Matt Flake, he he brought me up in the office. And he said, "Would you want to put together something?" And I said, "Yeah, I I could 
I could probably do that. But I said, it's, I need to make a few phone calls before I actually answer you there because I'm not going to, I have some people in mind, but they're not, they're not here. They're going to have to make a change, you know? Right. Uh, and it, they'd have to move and whatnot. So first person I called was Josh and he wanted to do it. Well, he started coming down and playing banjo. some. he called Jeremy. Then I talked to Jeremy and said, well, the only way to try this, the only way to know is to try it, just to, to come down here and do it. Right. Uh, so we, they blocked off. I don't know how they took off a couple of days of work and came down and said, let's, let's try this for a week. So we tried it a week or two and, well, Jeremy puts in his two weeks notice and Josh decides to sell his sign company. And, uh, we didn't have a bass player though. We had a kid that was playing bass a little bit and Jasper was working in the distillery. He was working behind the bar serving shots and we'd all knew Jasper, uh-huh. uh, of course, but I said, well, here we go. I said, if you want to, if you want to do this, if you want seriously want this job, I said, we're going to do an audition with you. I said, uh, at that time we were doing every Sundays, we would do a 10 hour shift. Wow. I said, I said, be there tomorrow, which was Sunday. And I said, we're going to work him. And we worked him 10 hours, man. And he, (laughs) he held, he held right in there. And so August the 14, we become, uh, the poor Ramblin' boys. We never planned anything. It was, our plan was them guys moved down there. We were going to get to play music, make a living, get a paycheck every week, and get to sleep in our own beds every night. But there was no intention. There was no idea. There was no thought of us ever going anywhere but Old Smokey. We were just going to be one of the house bands at Old Smokey Moonshine. How many days a week were you doing that? Oh, man. There was that first summer, there was a day, or there was a time that we did uh, 28 days in a row. Whoa. Whether it be, <laughs> whether it be, you know, five hour shifts or 10 hour shifts. Yeah. So th- we crammed a lot of music in the first year and a half, two years of, of what we were doing. Uh, I really think though, that, like if there's ever a, another story or history book of, of bluegrass music, I think there's probably going to be something about the bands that came out of old Smokey. That's so great, man. That's great. that yeah. somebody that, that somebody's like a company like that supported something. It's, Man, so, they, it's they, so cool. Yeah, they they put a lot of money into it, and uh, we feel you know we feel lucky that that we started there. And but it you know like I said, there was no intention to travel. Uh, our first the first festival we ever got hired at was actually in Alberta, Canada, uh, Shady Grove Bluegrass and Natton. So we did that. That was literally our first festival was Canada. We came home for five days and played Old Smoky. And then we went to Europe for two weeks. So, so you put out your uh, the album back to the mountains. Did you guys put that yeah. out as on your own indie label, or did you find a label? Are you homesick in Carolina with no one to hold on to? I went and left all my dreams behind me. That was on Random Records out of California, so we were the second album on Random Records, and it was a good project. And it and it seemed to me that it got a lot of attention as far as 
sales and everything. We just wanted something to sell at Old Smoky, really. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, yeah, we wanted we wanted a studio project to sell at Old Smoky, and um, I think the last time that I talked to Paul Cavanaugh, who who owns Random Records, he said that that uh, Back to the Mountains was is his best sell, selling album that is on the label. Oh wow! Oh, congrats, man. That's great. Yeah. That's pretty good, you know, sell a couple hundred. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that's a whole new world nowadays, huh? Yeah. Man, oh man. So how do you uh how do you make the jump over to Rounder? I said, Well, I'm gonna try and do all I can to to better myself in the industry. So the first thing I did was uh fill out an application for leadership bluegrass. Sure, through IBMA. uh, Yeah, Yeah. through IBMA. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was a 2017 class member, got into there. They opened up the applications for uh, showcase bands for IBMA and Raleigh, the World of Bluegrass event. So I said, well, I might as well try and do that now. So uh, we filled out the application for it and became a showcase band. And uh, what do you call what they call an official showcase band? Right, right. For uh, for the IBMA world of bluegrass. And I remember the first showcase we did was, uh, down there outside of the, uh, exhibit hall. I don't know if you've been to IBMA, but uh, they have a workshop stage out there and late at night, it turns into one of the, um, showcase stages. And I remember kicking off and we usually do four or five songs in a row. And, uh, we kicked off. And by the time the second song rolled around, I looked up and dead center, staring right at me was ken Irwin, and it scared the living daylights out of me so i was like well here we go we're gonna know we're gonna know where we stand in the music industry pretty quick (laughs) you know because he's either gonna walk away really fast or he's gonna stay and uh he, he stayed and uh uh thursday night is the awards and he he found me amongst all the people that were in the little reception hall before we went into the theater. He said, the one thing I remember him saying, he said, is this a phase? Uh. And I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, the, the, the version of music, the kind of music that you're playing, this style of music that you're playing, is this just a phase? Uh, and you're gonna, you know, get a little, get a little attention with it and then go from there. And I said, (laughs) I said, Ken, this is all we know how to do. (laughs) We couldn't, we couldn't change it if we wanted to, you know? Uh, Right. And so he said, that's what I wanted to hear. And then (laughs) we had three uh, labels approach us that week Wow. uh, about recording with them. We really sat down and had a, a a good talk as a band and said, what, where do we want to go? Where do we want to take it? And our biggest thing was we wanted to take bluegrass music where it isn't. Uh, and that's like, we want to take it to different theaters and different places that are traditional bluegrass sounds probably aren't popular. We want to play those festivals where it's not the norm. Sure. Uh, and we felt like rounder would probably help us with that, taking it somewhere that it, uh, that it wasn't at the time or isn't still. So I think we made a pretty good choice with that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, <laughs> it, it, the, the Grammy, uh, the Grammy nod and the, uh, head in, head the Grammys and all that good stuff. I think it's a pretty good indication that you made the right choice as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which we never, you know, that never came into play either. Sure. You can, 
you can sit there and kind of dream about it a little bit or it, it it comes across your mind a time or two but that that was we weren't sitting in the powwow going well if we sign with rounder boys we're going to get a grammy nomination. right right no we we didn't do that we just we the the one thing that we talked about the most in that conversation is the band was look at all the people that are on rounder that we love so much right you know oh, the music that the music the yeah the catalog of of rounder records and we have the potential to be a part of that catalog that's that was special to us. Yeah. So that's great. That's just as special as being a part of the Opry or, or this Grammy nom- nomination too. It's rounder is, is a legend in, in our industry. So yeah, for sure. Well, um, did you, mm-hmm. cut the, did you cut the album live? Uh, let's see here. We, we did, on um, a few tracks. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The first, the first single was next train South. We did that live. Let's see. Hold on. I, I'll break it down for you as yeah, quickly man. as I can. The, uh, <laughs> the bass, guitar, banjo, that depending on who was singing the lead on the song, the scratch track. So most of that stuff was uh, bass, guitar, banjo were the were the rhythm tracks. That's that's what brought it in. And then I was usually singing the scratch track. So I would come in and I would lay my chop in next. And then we would work on vocals. And when we do the vocals, we all sing together, but we sing in separate rooms. The way the way we do it, it's it's we recorded that project at Sound Biscuit uh, Studios in Sevierville, Tennessee. There, and there, the rooms you can see everyone uh, from one room to the next. Cool. So uh, actually, he's just stall- installed some TVs as well, oh, to where no you can actually yeah you can actually watch your your uh your sound wave go to where you can kind of almost match phrasing a little bit better but anyhow the uh we were we sing together and most of all the rhythm was together and then we'd go through and and pick out the little glitches and whatever and fix those sure. but uh as far as being like cut like raw live no i it sounds like it was that's the one thing i love about your album i'm that was surprised for you to say no because it sounds so it sounds so good and cohesive yeah. it sounds like you guys i mean were right in the same room I, i'm really impressed yeah, we, that that that, it, that you didn't do it like because it sounds phenomenal it sounds like yeah that's that's one thing that we kind of had in mind too because our stage presence and ken Irwin actually he, he brought that up quite a few times was uh our stage presence we wanted to capture our stage presence more because it's we're we're i don't know we have this we have the stage apparel and and we get up there and we have fun and we're we try and entertain and we wanted to catch all those acts aspects but we don't have the sound or we we're just basing this all off of sound 
you're you can't see anything on the cd you can't see the show right so uh we're down a sense <laughs> so we had to try and uh capture what people experience with the sight of the show but only with the sound of the show and so i i think we did pretty well with it uh i think we're going to improve as we as we go along there was a lot of testing moments when we uh recorded that because it was a completely new way of recording for us and we had well we i think we felt a lot of pressure because we wanted to do the best possible thing that we could and to be to be honest we're we're extremely fresh we're extremely new we're not guys and we're not guys that go in the studio all the time and lay down tracks and and five minutes and <laughs> go sure. out and smoke a cigarette and have a cup of coffee we don't do that <laughs> we, we really we have to concentrate on that stuff and we learned a lot from the project uh all in all though i, I do i do feel it's it's our best project well we've got three projects out including that gospel one but mm -hmm. i do i think it's the best rep representation of what we do as a band yeah, that's it. Sounds great. I'm excited to hear. I know it's it's, it's probably ways off. But I'm excited to hear your next one just for just from the growth you guys are going to have from all the things that have been going on since you recorded it. Man. Yeah, yeah. What well, was, we got a lot to live up to. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. What was your uh, mandolin situation in the in the recording studio for that? On twelve tears in trouble. Let's see. I played most of the tracks are uh, my McClanahan, my first McClanahan uh, that I call Orch. Um, that's a 2016. And then I played, uh, I just got a Ellis when we went in the studio. So I was playing, uh, Ellis tradition on some of that stuff. And then also I had a 1934 F7 that was converted to an F5. Oh, wow. So those were the three, the, the, the biggest majority of the cuts was on my McClanahan. Those McClanahan's are beautiful. Yeah, they're great. Dude, they're they great. sound great. They look beautiful. Yeah, Jonathan's Jonathan is one of the really he's he's one of the premier builders of of our lifetime. Uh, he he applies a lot of new things. I spend a lot of time with him in the in his shop and to see his work and he's he's innovative and and people I think people are afraid to be innovative especially in the mandolin world because there's such a a tradition that we hold on to with, with with the lower period and everything and there's there's he told me one day he said why would i want to build a a, a lore copy because everyone else is doing that i want to build them i want to build them a clanahan not uh something that's going to be called a copy right so but he, his work is incredible and that orch that mandolin really really inspired me to to dig into the mandolin more i heard i heard so many new t I, my ear completely changed with that mandolin it was so good to to learn on that th like i i became a better mandolin player because of that mandolin oh that's awesome yeah how many uh what are, you have i mean you took a picture the other day on your instagram that you had posted and you had quite, you had quite a few mandolins laying on a bed there was it a bed yeah I, what what other uh what other instruments you got i'm well i'm, I'm kind of a wheeler and dealer i guess <laughs> yeah man but, but the, you know you gotta find the before i get into it as far as the equipment there's 
you have to find what you love. Sure. It, it doesn't matter. The name on the peg head does not matter at all. The name on the label does not matter at all. It what matter, and it doesn't matter if everyone else likes it and you don't. You you have to like it. You have to be in love with that instrument. Like I talked about earlier in the in the uh, in our talk here, I seen that companionship when I looked at that Bill Monroe and and his mandolin picture and you had to, I think that's important. Uh, uh, most of the people that we talk about all the time, uh, as far as mandolin players, you talk about the mandolin player and then you talk about the mandolin because they've had it for 20 or 30 years. So anyhow, you, you gotta love what you, you gotta love what you had, no matter what it is. And, uh, so let's see here. I've got, I've been collecting a lot of overhaul stuff lately. Oh, cool. Uh, I got some cool stuff there. I, I've got, uh, the first, uh, the first Gibson mandolin that Earl Taylor ever had. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Earl Taylor, but Yeah, Earl Taylor and Stony Mountain Boys. He uh, he had a little, uh, just a, a Gibson A3, and I bought that from his nephew the other day. That's kind of a historical piece, but it it's it sounds great. That's awesome. Uh, let's see, my main stuff. Uh, got a new McClanahan that just came in. What he calls a Loretto. It's a three point piece that oh, me and him. Wow. It's really cool. It's it's a three point with tortoise binding, and it's if if y'all follow me on instagram or facebook you'll see it it's a six piece back really neat really neat piece so that's an incredible mandolin i've actually got that loaned out to danny roberts right now oh um, you really wow yeah and then let's see i've got a new ellis coming i actually sold that first ellis uh with permission from tom and uh, kathy over there to one of my students he he wanted my ellis tradition so uh i've got a i've got another ellis tradition coming those are based off of grisman's 22 voicing oh, uh cool. there's only 22 of those going to be made and oh, um, wow I've got, I've got kind of a custom uh, tradition i should have that in february so that's really cool I, ellis's are amazing yeah i'm i'm i love the the builds and stuff like that. So I get into several different builders. Um, I've had a few wings here lately. Uh, wings, Madeline. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, from up in Canada lately though. Um, well, to be honest with you, I've, I've sold a lot of stuff because I was trying to purchase a kind of a dream mandolin. And I finally, that finally come true. But, uh, the, uh, my main axe that I've been using since I received it was a a twenty seven uh, fern. Oh, I bought a wow. I bought that in I bought that in March um, from the original family. Oh wow! And, oh, um, no kidding. Yeah, it's it's a cool story. I did a little story on Mandolin Cafe with it, a little video uh, after I'd had it, you know, fixed up and everything. It needed a needed a little work, and but uh, got it sat thirty years under a bed. <laughs> and uh, the you know it, you hear those stories a lot but i never thought that i would 
be a part of one, but I, I got that in March. And, uh, then this, uh, this past week I acquired a, um, well, actually I acquired Don Brown's mandolin, <laughs> the, the guy that we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a February 18th, 24, uh, F5. Oh, nice so, man. Congratulations. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a vintage. I grew up, you know, going back to those guys, um, Jim Orchard has a, a February 23, uh, Frank Ray had the, the Don Brown mandolin. And of course, Don Brown had the Don Brown mandolin, but, uh, Frank acquired it after that. And then, uh, Jim's, Jim's brother, Rich Orchard had a, uh, March 31st, 24. So here I am, you know, in my early teens and I'm around three of some of the best mandolins I've ever heard. Wow. And so I I fell into the vintage F5 market really quick. I dove in, man. And so <laughs> it's I've always wanted that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's really good to finally be able to acquire some of that stuff. So I just the fern, the fern is my main deal. Uh, now, the, the Don Brown is probably I've played I've played almost 60 lures wow and uh i kind of i document them it's kind of just something that i like to do kind of document them and write down my notes of what i like and it all stems from those early times being around those three and the, the don brown is probably one of the best lures that i've ever touched oh, and man. uh but again being being that it's sentimental and stuff i'm gonna take it out but the fern is is my go-to sure uh right now yeah man yeah. absolutely that's and great the, the, the new ellis the new ellis is going to come out as well and so it's just you know kind of pick what you want to do i i don't have really any artist affiliation with uh with anyone so mm-hmm. I, I and what i do have affiliated with i i have a lot of uh they you know uh tom ellis was was more excited than I was when I got my fern. So it's it's cool it's <laughs> cool so to cool. share that kind of stuff with people. But yeah, yeah that's man. that's that's the stuff here lately is the fern has been the main one. And then uh, like I said, just recently, not even uh not even a week ago I, I got a hold of Don. So that's so great, dude. Mm-hmm. Do you have um you have like strings and picks that you that you prefer? Yeah. Um I'm straight up strings all the way. I've, oh, cool, I've man. run those. Yeah, we've we've worked with them for uh, I guess three years now. Nice, Cali and and I love Roger Simonoff's work is is just his his past work is is incredible. But the strings, man, is I was using the heavies uh, for quite a while, and uh, I like that the string stiffness. And uh, then I put a set of mediums on there. And that little bit less tension on the top, uh-huh. I feel like there's, I felt, I felt like the heavies might've been a little suffocating on, uh, on very, very responsive mandolins. I think on some of the, uh, uh, I don't know how you call, I wouldn't say cheaper mandolins, but some of, of, uh, lower tier price range mandolins, I mm-hmm. guess you can say, I don't know, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I, I think some of those mandolins would would be beneficial to have the heavies on there. Sure. But as far as like my the McClanahan's, uh, the Weens, uh, 
the Fern, the Don Brown, they, uh, they all like the mediums. That's cool. I think there's a little bit more sparkle in the mediums. Um, and a little bit more, I don't know. I, I, there's more roundness there instead of, if I want stiff though, stiff in your face, I'll put a, I'll put a set of heavies on something and it'll, it'll do just what it needs to do. Yeah. The best thing about the straight ups is they're, they're consistent on everything. Like I don't, every mandolin that I have likes them. I don't have to have like four or five different sets of uh, name brand strings to, to satisfy what each individual might. It's, it's the go-to for all of them. Um, picks I was using, uh, for the longest time since I started, I've used, uh, Dunlop 207s. And, uh, I actually used the shoulder of, of the 207s, oh, not cool. the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned that from Frank Ray. He, he liked to want you have a little bit more to hold on to, and then you have a little bit more subtle of a round point uh, instead of a, you know, a point. Uh, and recently, I got together with Blue Chip Picks, and and they actually made me a, a custom uh, blue chip that that is the exact shape of a two oh seven. Oh, cool, uh, man! Yeah, exper- We experimented with some different thicknesses and stuff, and we finally settled on a a seventy. And oh so, wow! Whoa, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, a seventy, which is kind of people are like, what? They don't, they, but they they do make a seventy now, and uh, so I call them the acorn because a, <laughs> a two a two oh seven is is kind of acorn shape, and yeah. then when you put that you put that brown blue chip material with it, it looks like a little acorn. So I've been I've been advertising them as the acorns. Yeah, you know what? Now <laughs> I recall you posting that on your Instagram. Now the acorn. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. should if they don't follow your Instagram, they're missing out. They should definitely. I'll post when we when this podcast goes live. I'll be sure yeah. to post all your all your stuff on there. You're you yeah. got some cool stuff that you post, man. It's inspiring. If you like if you like mandolins and dogs and old <laughs> trucks, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, let's get into the, uh, got just a couple more questions here. I know you're getting on a cruise. You got a cruise tomorrow. So, uh, um, I appreciate you squeezing this in, but the, uh, the, the the one is the, uh, the 10 minutes a day question. Uh, if you had 10 minutes to pick up your mandolin to, to work on something and only 10 minutes, what would you work on or what would you recommend somebody working on? Um, as far as what I do, uh, 10 minutes a day, I, I work on that left hand quite a bit. Um, because I feel like my, my left hand is weaker than the right. So I, I like to explore the fretboard. I'll sit down and, and just kind of tinker around with stuff. And, uh, and, uh, I actually, I like to do stretches too. I'm starting to have a little bit of onset of, I don't know. I'm starting to have a little bit of hand trouble. So I, I like to do stretches and stuff. So I'll sit there and kind of see how far, if I can plant my first finger on the first fret see how far that pinky can stretch all the way down the neck right um and then you know i'm sitting there i'm always trying to keep the mandolins alive as far as they're if you let them go too long and not play them they they get dormant so there's a lot of times where i'll just i'll sit and play the same tune on uh on a different uh, one mandolin then pick up another one so but as far as the 10 minutes goes i i would I feel like stretching that hand out because Mm -hmm. especially as much as, as some of us play, I don't think we pay attention to the health of the health aspect of what we're doing. So 
stretch that stuff out, you know, and, and make sure that you can explore that fretboard to where you know where, where this G note is versus this G note and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, um, another thing too, is that right hand think the different syncopations that you can use with your right hand. Uh, me and Mike Compton were just over at Lorefest talking, uh, and he, he said something about Monroe kicking off a, uh, a Monroe Brothers song on a recording. And he said the first whole phrase of it was just, it was the same. The first two, the first two phrases were the same, but the first phrase was tremolo. And the second phrase was more of a gallop, oh. and, but he played the same thing, but it, the feel was completely different. So, like I said, you, you've got an education in your left hand, but you've also got an accent. Right. Right. So did, did he mention the could, tune? Oh, man. I wish you wouldn't ask me. Uh, I'll, I'll text him. I'll, um, I'll see be, if he remembers. I'll, I'll play yeah, it. I'd love to hear it now, though. Yeah, ask him, ask him about that. I, I can't remember. Yeah, I'll ask him. I'll, but, I've got to remember to do that. He's a great guy, man. Oh, man. Yeah, he, his knowledge on all that stuff is incredible. And, and really, like... The things that he knows, we I just touch base on that stuff is, and that's where I get a lot of my influences is by sitting down and listening to those guys. So really, if you could take ten minutes a day and sit down with someone else that knows something that you don't know, right? That's that's a big deal, sure, um, man. You know, or sit down and so, listen to some music. Don't yeah, drive. Don't don't do anything. Just listen. Listen to, to some minutes, Don listen. Brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to dig some of that up, man. Tell me what you think of the manlo. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, Dude, I got to come and see you and see it in person when you, uh, yeah. when you start playing. I'm going to have to look at your tour dates. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, so I'm not too far from Gatlinburg there. There you go. I've been heading up to Nashville every couple months. So, so. <laughs> Yeah. That's great, man. And then um, let's talk about beer. You have a beer that you're enjoying right now? Well, I'm a St. Louis guy. Yeah. And my family obviously is is from st louis and and therefore we have a lot of my dad worked at anheuser-busch for a while oh nice my grandpa was a box maker back in the 50s for Anheuser. so i'm always i've always leaned towards anheuser-busch project pro projects product <laughs> um, and i'm a i like budweiser and, and bush out of out of those but i you know i i'm i like crafty stuff and we uh Lately, out of convenience, we working down in Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg. Uh, Old Smokey actually owns uh, Yeehaw Beer. Oh, do they really? And, yeah, and they have a they have a beer right now called a Friday Beer. It's a it's a seven point nine. It's like a it's a lager, and man, is it good! I just I like caramely caramely stuff. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, not an IPA guy. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would I would drink one if I had to. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like lagers and red ales and things like that with a little bit of not not too heavy, uh, not IPA, but just kind of right down the middle is a just a good everyday beer. And that fr that Friday beer is uh, I well you can have one and and you feel good <laughs> and it's not too heavy especially i think of that too while i'm singing and stuff I, oh yeah i like to have this is a little secret and, and now it's being put out but i like to have two beers before i play uh said i feel like i loosen up a little bit and don't get you know 
you don't get out of hand, but <laughs> right, I, think right. it, I think it, I think it knocks the edge off a little bit to where you're not nervous or anything. Sure. You just kind of feel comfortable and you know, that's, that's come with a lot of experimentation, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> nope, that was too many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great, man. So. <laughs> and then, you know, one more question I meant to ask, meant to ask you yeah. about 10 minutes. You said you play, um, if you were to pick up, if you're just to play a fiddle tune today, do you have a go-to fiddle tune right now? Like if you said you would just pick up all your mandolins and play one song on them. Is there one right now you know, that you would just play? The one tune, the one tune, and I don't know if you would care characterizing as a fiddle tune but mm-hmm. the one tune that i play all the time to stretch my hand that like the exercise song that i use before the set when i pick up a mandolin first thing in the morning is the 7th of december bobby osborne oh no kidding man yeah oh yeah cool. I, I sat there and I, I me and bobby are he's become a huge just me and him become really good friends and I, if y'all need to if y'all haven't talked to Bobby Osborne, y'all need to take time. I need time. to, yeah, that's, that's he's, he's that's, on my list for the next couple months to reach out to for sure. That's 10 minutes. That's 10 minutes a day that you can listen to. Listen to uh, Bobby and his mandolin. That album, his his uh, his voice overshadows his mandolin playing a lot, but his, his mandolin playing is also amazing. So uh, Bobby and his mandolin, but uh, also that, that 7th of December, I sat down and I've always wanted to learn it and I just could never, I'm a hands on, you know, face to face looking at the other mandolin. And, um, he taught me that right there in his living room. And I, I just, I carry it with me. Well, CJ, you've been awesome to talk with. You're just like a genuinely nice person, man. I am so stoked for all the success. I mean, you've worked your worked your your tail off, and you are uh, you guys are just just beginning to scratch the surface of all of it. So I'm 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 excited for you, and I'm really really excited that you took the time to be on this this podcast. Yeah, hey, man, thanks for thanks for letting me be a part of it. I was uh, I got my little down there at Old Smoky. I'm wearing my Madelines and beer. Beanie cap. Oh, that's right, man. That's right. Thank <laughs> yeah, you so much. And I'm and good. he purchased one too. Uh, you, you, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that. Thank you so much, dude. Hey, and hey, here's one thing. You got to and and for good stuff. If you want good stuff to keep going, you got to support it. And uh, that's uh, I I love this. What you're doing. Thank you so much. And uh, man, you you keep me company. Uh, <laughs> I go to Nashville a lot, and you keep me company on the road. Oh, thank you, but I appreciate that, man. Guest is, so. Well, hopefully, yeah. uh, one of these days, you and I can pick together sometime. I'll definitely yeah. uh, well, come, come and see me, and we'll do a little mandolin taste. That'd be great, brother. <laughs> Thank you so much, CJ. I'll take care, and uh, thanks for having me on. There's a guy doing what he's meant to do right there, CJ Lewandowski. What a, an inspiring conversation and heartfelt moments there. It's always nice to hear. So thank you to CJ. Um, I will have links to the uh, Bobby Osborne and his mandolin, which is available. You can listen to it on YouTube. The album's out of print. And also uh, Don Brown 
and um, and the Ozark Mountain Trio stuff is out there on YouTube as well. I'll have links to that. That's really really good stuff. I've been listening to that both of those since the uh, since this interview. And um, other than that, thanks a lot, y'all. Be sure to uh, if you get a chance, if you want to check out the Patreon. It's updated weekly now. Got a whole bunch of good stuff up there. If you're looking for inspiration, 10 minutes a day, you'll find it there. Um, you guys have a great week. Doyle Lawson, a legend, next week. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>